You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So the plan for today is going to be exactly this. A lot of stuff I'd love to cover, but I feel like this is important. I thought about maybe doing this on the side, and maybe I will go a little bit more in-depth elsewhere, but I think it's important to at least go over it. I mentioned that I wanted to do PFF grades, and I do, and we will. Um, That will not take a ton of time. What else I would love to do, at least to the best of my ability, and this may take more than a day, I don't know how how quick or how slow this will go, but if you remember, and I had mentioned this on the podcast, but I had posted it somewhat visually on um, Twitter, I had picked a day, a week, and I had said, since this point, who's doing better and who's doing worse? And it wasn't nearly as uh, impressive and great as I expected. There were, you know, a handful, three, four, five guys that seemed to be getting significantly better in the last, you know, probably since week 10, 9, 8, somewhere in that range. But there's also the majority of the team that has made only either minor strides, no stride, or have gotten worse, if not significantly worse, um, since that period. But I added a caveat, and I had said, the this is just sort of a general picture, and that each individual player has their own sort of story arc, whether that be for their career or for the season or whatever. And picking an arbitrary week is kind of shorthand, and it it will probably give us some kind of a picture. But you will have some people that have been probably headed in the wrong direction that look positive because maybe they had one good week mixed in. Or on the other hand, you'll have some people with one really bad week mixed in, and maybe it was you know, if I took it from week 10, maybe week 10, they had like a 40 overall grade and they've been going up ever since. And so it looks positive, but overall the grade is low compared to how it was at the beginning of the season. And maybe that's because of like one or two positive games. And so what I want to do is to try to take some time and actually look through each player, not, you know, maybe not necessarily players that don't play a ton, but at least hit the key players and go through and say, okay, what is how can I best summarize the story arc? How can I best summarize their their season? You know, they, they started off hot and fell off. 
they started off slow and picked it up. When did that happen? To what degree has it happened? You know what I mean? Because I want to try to give as clear of a picture as I can. Because what I've realized, and myself is included in this, is we all use so much shorthand because there's so much information and it comes at us so fast and it it happens, you know, week after week, there's just new information and there's a lot of it, player by player, um, offense, defense, special teams, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. And that's where, you know, I posted the stat about the Packers and how they do in the second half and specifically the fourth quarter. And everybody's like, what? We have a garbage defense. What are you talking about? And you you look at, uh, you know, we have the number two ranked pass defense. Like, what? We suck against the pass. I don't know if we do anymore after the Miami game, but, you know, you look at how many points we give up. Not very many. What are you talking about? We get destroyed by everybody all the time. You look at where we rank DVOA. It's like, what are you, our offense, defense, they look like trash. What are you talking about? Part of it has to do with, not realizing how bad every other team in the NFL is. But part of it really just has to do with the season started horribly. And so we created a little shortcut in our brain that says the Packers are trash. Everybody did it. All the other fans did it. Packer fans did it. National media did it. Local media did it. And so when you look at it and see, and and again, I've done this a lot from a team standpoint. Look where we are on offense since week eight. Look at where we are on our defense since week eight, offense since week 10-ish. And even that, you can probably find a better week in there. But, you know, I don't want to get too small of a sample size, so we'll include the Tennessee game or whatever. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and do that? Let's start with uh, PFF grades and stats and whatnot from this past week. Um, Lots and lots and lots of people. um, You know what? I think they messed this up again and put, like, one snap of special teams ended up as... uh, offense. But anyways, um, not super great in terms of a ton of high end, but I think better than last week. Um, 70 and above, good or better. We'll go with about seven. Tyler Davis had a 69.6. We'll call that a 70. Um, I'm really curious at what Tyler Davis has been doing, but I guess that's the point of the next segment, right? Nothing. Okay. Uh, After that, we've got Patrick Taylor, my man, Actually had a 90 receiving rate is primarily how he got where he got, but we'll get there. Only played six snaps, but still, I like PT, as Aaron Rodgers calls him. Took me. Everybody kept using these uh, abbreviations. Dude, AS was flying around the field, and GL was doing... I'm like, who the, I had to pause the interviews that they were doing. I'm like, who the heck is that? Really go through the whole roster. PT is Patrick Taylor. Um, then Yash Nyman, 71.4. Zach Tom, 71.7. Aaron Rodgers, 74.9, which um uh, be interested to kind of dig into that. Personally, pretty surprised by that. Uh, I think my assumption would be a lot of those throws that were thrown kind of, in my mind, behind the receiver that caused them to slow down and reach backward. PFF kind of looked at it and was like, eh, completed pass. Good enough. That's my guess, because, like I said, the first half, every single throw was off. But second half... Super greatly. Uh, the other way to look at it, too, is it's entirely possible the first half, we're looking at like 50 overall Aaron Rodgers, second half, 90 overall Aaron Rodgers, especially if that pick they don't really see as Rodgers' fault. Then, second highest graded player on the offense, Christian Watson, 78.9 overall grade. Love to see it. And then, number one, Mercedes Lewis, 81.3. 
And yes, that was probably almost entirely because of, well, he had a touchdown reception and then that diving reception. He ended up with an 89.2 receiving grade in that game. Um, guys that were not super wonderful, below a 60. Um, high 50s, you got John Runyon, Robert Tunyon, Samore Ture, uh, Dallin, nope, that's special teams. Then uh, 54, Royce Newman, 54, Josiah DeGuara, 52, Aaron Jones, 48, Randall Cobb. Um, really sad to see Aaron Jones and Randall Cobb down here. I, I feel like Jones really needs some kind of a bounce back game. He started off real hot. Um, and then Randall Cobb similarly started off extremely hot to start the season and just died. Uh, it's just, we've had nothing from him for a while, but again, we'll get there. Uh, passing, looking at Aaron Rodgers, he was 24 of 38, 238, a touchdown and a pick. They actually did have two big time throws and two turnover worthy plays, which is not fantastic. You don't really want a one-to-one ratio there. Uh, Two batted passes, one throw away, 2.6 time to throw, a 78.6 passer rating. Rodgers did have an 81.4 grade while clean, 21 of 32, still just 65.6%, 198 yards and a touchdown while under pressure, which was not very often. um, He was three of six for 40 yards and a pick. Also, uh, play action, which we ran 28% of the time. Rodgers had an 87 overall grade. Um, He was 8 of 10 for 64 yards and a touchdown with no play action, 64 overall grade, 63 passing grade. Um, He was 16 of 28, 57% completion percentage, 174 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. So play action is certainly the way to go. Looking at uh, receiving grades, uh, specifically receiving grades, Patrick Taylor, 90, Mercedes Lewis, 89, Christian Watson, 78, and then it just plummets. Lazard, 63, Dobbs, 62, Aaron Jones, 58, A.J. Dillon, 56, Josiah DeGuara, 55, Tunyon, 54, and Randall Cobb with a 52.5. Uh, biggest yards after the catch, guys, uh, Patrick Taylor, 18 yards after the catch, which because he caught a negative one-yard pass, apparently. Um and then it's nothing really special after that. Jones and Dylan at 6.5 are the next highest. Yards per route run, Patrick Taylor, 17 yards per route run because he just ran the one round. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, 2.67, which is incredible for him. Uh, and then Christian Watson, 2.45 again. Two is a, is a solid number. After that, you had Lazard, 1.53, Dobbs, 1.44, Jones, 0.75, Dylan, 0.67, Tunyon, 0.5, DeGuara, 0.5. Randall Cobb, 0.24. Hilariously, Mercedes Lewis had the highest average depth of target at 17.5 yards, the guy that you would expect to have the least. Christian Watson was actually fifth on the list, which again, kind of works to his favor. Uh, Remember, that's eight targets, six receptions, 49 yards in a half. But the fact that he's clearly not just the deep threat guy um, and hasn't really been effective as a deep threat guy for the last couple weeks. Not that that's necessarily his fault, but it's the way that they're playing him. But the fact that he's now saying, okay, you're going to take away the deep shots. I'm still going to pick you apart underneath. And he has been only 9.1 yards, average depth of target, 8.2 yards per reception, which is sixth behind Patrick Taylor, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, Alan Lazard, and Romeo Dobbs. Longest reception, Lazard at 42, Lewis 31, Romeo Dobbs 22, Christian Watson right at 20. Barely broke that deep pass line at 20 yards. And then the drops came from Lazard and Romeo Dobbs. Um, Contested catches, Mercedes Lewis and A.J. Dillon were one for one. 
Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson were one for two, Lazard one for three, and Randall Cobb was 0 for one. Nobody made anybody miss. Um, curious what that means, but anyways, um, first downs, Lewis, Dobbs, Watson, Lazard each converted two. Tunyon, Taylor, and Aaron Jones each got one. Passer rating, 158.3 for Mercedes Lewis, 118.8 for Tunyon and Patrick Taylor. Christian Watson had a 90.1, Aaron Jones 85.4, and down, down, down from there, all the way down to Lazard at a 29.6. Yikes. Um, Running the football, looking at rushing grades, A.J. Dillon was the highest at a 68.4. Aaron Rodgers was the next highest at a 62-9. Then Aaron Jones at a 58-4. And Dallin, nope, that's special teams, you idiot. Annoys me that they do that. How how would that even be hard to fix? Fix it. Uh, A.J. Dillon had the lone touchdown. Aaron Jones actually had the highest yards per attempt at 4.1. Obviously, he's been battling through some stuff, which maybe has to do with why he's not quite as effective. But um, A.J. Dillon kind of being effective at what he does well, which is being a battering ram, but that only accounts to 3.4 yards per. Yards after contact per attempt, Aaron Jones 2.7, A.J. Dillon 2.7. Well, Aaron Jones 2.71. I was rounding, but somebody needs to win, and it's Jones. They each uh, forced one missed tackle. Jones had the longest rush of 18 yards. Uh, Dillon and Jones each had one carry over 10 yards, and um, that's about it. Then we come to the offensive line, left tackle Zach Tom with nearly an 80 pass blocking grade in this game, allowed just two hurries with his 66 snaps at left tackle, just a 63 run blocking grade, which obviously isn't great, but you know what, if you're going to play left tackle, I'll take it. It's not David Bakhtiari good, but it is how the heck does a fourth round rookie come in and do this good. Um, Elton Jenkins had his worst game in a while. Not bad, but just average run blocking, average pass blocking. Didn't give up any pressures, but that's how he graded out. I'm guessing just getting kind of beat in both areas. Um, center Josh Myers, 71 run blocking, but a 49 pass blocking grade. Pretty disappointing. Um, John Runyon, John Runyon, again, 79 pass blocking, 50 run blocking. Again, if you're new here, John Runyon, that's what he does every week. One of the best pass blocking guards in football and a pretty subpar to bad run blocker. Um, Then Yash Nyman, unfortunately, goes out after 18 snaps because he was having apparently his best game. Maybe it's because it was only 18 snaps. Uh, Also, his first without a penalty, so I guess that was another perk of uh, him kind of getting a little banged up and having to sit out. But uh, he had a 72 run blocking grade, a 67 pass blocking. Then Royce Newman came in. Actually better as a pass blocker via the grade, 73.1 pass blocking grade, but a 39.5 run blocking grade, which absolutely sucks. Other blocking grades, Tyler Davis had the highest run blocking grade on the team at just a 74.2. A.J. Dillon was third at a 71.2. Robert Tunyon at a 68.6. Lazard, 67.5, which is good for him. As I said, he's one of the lowest, I think he is the lowest run blocking grade on the team, so that probably helped a little bit. Christian Watson at a 61. Um, the subpar blockers, you had Mercedes Lewis at a 58. You had Josiah DeGuara, 54. We already said Runyon. Romeo Dobbs at a 49.9. Randall Cobb was the lowest at a 37.3. And then pass blocking, non-offensive lineman again. Tyler Davis was the highest blocker, 73.2. Mercedes Lewis was the next uh, tied him, actually, at a 73.2. Josiah DeGuara, 69.7. Tunyon, 68. Uh, A.J. Dillon had a 40.7, 
pass blocking grade, and that was on seven attempts. He gave up a hit and a, uh, actually, no, it was just the one hit. Aaron Jones, in his four attempts, gave up uh, a sack and a hurry. So he had a 6.5 pass blocking grade. And Patrick Taylor had the lowest at a 3.6. He gave up a hurry on his one attempt. Switching over to the defensive side of things, uh, similar to last week, almost nobody graded out very well, which is obviously pretty disappointing. Uh, We'll start with the bad first. Um, Below a 60, Ennis Gaines, 59, Dean Lowry, 58, TJ Slayton, 58, Rudy Ford, 54, Chris Barnes, 50, Devontae Wyatt, 49.9, we'll call it a 50, Kingsley and Igbare, 49.3, Adrian Amos, 48, Quay Walker, after his, Quay and Amos, last week for the first time really stepped up and it's like, hey, this is what we expected. And then boom, they just fall off a cliff. Man, that's annoying. As far as good performers, uh, Darnell Savage had a 68.1, Jair 72, Jaron Reed 90, Preston Smith 90. Everybody else was mid 60 down to 60. I guess we'll just go through it. Razul 64, Keyshawn 64, Holland 63, Kenny Clark 61, Tariq Carpenter, 60, and Devondre Campbell, 60. So good or better, there were three, four kind of close with Savage at 68. Bad players, I mean, you know, sub-60, we had nine. Uh, We had just as many terrible players at 49 and and lower. So pretty upsetting and not very inspiring for uh, what you would hope it for in in a defense. Run defense, Jaron Reed had an 86.2, Adrian Amos 73, Justin Holland 72. The bad run defenders, we'll just say Devondre and Quay Walker, 55 and 53. Obviously, the worst case scenario is to have your two starting supposed superstar linebackers as some of the worst uh, run defenders on your team, followed by Chris Barnes, another linebacker, followed by Devontae Wyatt at 50, and then Kingsley and Igbare at a 46, tackling was actually pretty decent. TJ Slayton, 69-6. Innis Gaines, 71. Preston, 75. Razul, 76. Rudy Ford, 77. Savage, 79. Campbell, 79. Adrian Amos with nearly a 90. Um, bad tacklers. Jair, 50. Quay, 37. Jaron Reed, 36. Kingsley and Igbare, a 28. Pass rush. Uh, Jaron Reed had a good grade, uh, 70. Preston with a 90. Um, everybody else was pretty average with the exception of Kingsley down at a 48. Coverage, Kingsley had a 75. Jair had a 71. On the bad end, Innis Gaines 54. Rudy 53. Hollins 52. Amos 44. Quay Walker 33.8. Statistically, as far as pressures go, uh, the highest was Jaron Reed. He had four pressures on 17 attempts, which is phenomenal. Bum, 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 bum. Phenomenal. But that's uh, 24-ish percent. Wyatt had two pressures on 14 attempts, so 14.3%. Grades be damned. I'm excited about that. Uh, Justin Hollins, two on 12. Uh, Kenny Clark, two on 23, which is sub 10%, which means that sucks. They were both hurries. Uh, Preston Smith had two on 18 attempts, which is not great, but he had a sack, so everybody's excited about it. Um... Then you had Kingsley and Igbare with one pressure on 19 attempts. We're pushing 5% there. That's really bad. Dean Lowry um, had one pressure on four attempts. 
He ended up going out with a calf injury in the game, so he was pretty limited, which led to seeing a little bit more of some of the other guys. But um, Sacks, Preston and Jaron Reed. Hits were Preston, Jaron Reed, Devontae White, Kingsley, and Igbari. Everything else was hurries. There were two sacks, four hits, eight hurries in the game, along with one batted pass by Kingsley. 31 tackles led by Amos with nine. Um, missed tackles, there were three, one from Jaron Reed, one from Jair, one from Quay. Uh, as far as a percentage, the highest was Quay. 50% of his attempts were misses. Uh, stops, 15 stops in the game. Jaron Reed had the most with four. Preston had the second most with three. Forced fumbles, there were two, Preston Smith and Jaron Reed. And then uh, as far as coverage goes, um, Razul Douglas, eight targets, four receptions, an interception and a pass breakup. Uh, he gave up 61 yards. That's about as good of a game as you could expect. Jair, uh, Jair, five targets, five receptions, 53 yards, and a pick. Ennis Gaines, two targets, two receptions, 21 yards. Devondre Campbell, two targets, one reception, 15 yards, and a pick. That's, again, about a perfect day. Didn't get a good grade, but I couldn't care less. If he's leaving guys open and the two is too stupid to find him, I guess. I don't know I don't know what else to, to say, but it is what it is. Adrian Amos, uh, two targets, two receptions, 68 yards. Um then you had Rudy Ford, one target, one reception for 84 yards and a touchdown, so they're blaming him for that primarily. Preston Smith, one target, one reception, eight yards. And then you had Chris Barnes and Quay Walker, one target, zero receptions. So the grades were really bad. The stats were not that horrible. I know there were some really big gains in here. In fact, the longest ones, uh, again, Rudy Ford for the 84-yarder. Adrian Amos was blamed, blamed for the 52-yarder. Other than that, the next biggest gain was against Razul Douglas for 24 yards. Um, so I guess everybody shares in a little bit because Ennis Gaines was 19 yards. Jair gave up an 18-yarder. Devondre gave up a 15-yarder. Uh, <laughs> the only person who gave up a reception that was under 10 yards was Preston Smith, who gave up an 8-yarder. Zero penalties, though. That's crazy. Was there really no penalties against our defense in the whole game? Maybe that's the problem. It seems like referees, especially the last couple weeks, two to three weeks, since the Chicago game, teams have been playing the Packers real rough. A lot of grabbing, pulling. Uh, We saw it against the Bears. We saw it against the Rams. I think we saw it a little bit this week as well. Maybe refs are starting to let it go a little bit. Maybe they need a little bit more aggression, you know, just start grabbing. Everybody else is grabbing. Packers are are too reliant on their own abilities. Forget that, dude. Just grab them and hold them a little bit. You get called once in a while, but if you get away with it three out of four times, why not? Master the art of the grab. Remember when the Packers got uh, blamed for that and probably still do with David Bakhtiari, but that was like a big thing for a while where they were essentially coached how to cheat. They held on every single play. They'd get their hands underneath your shoulder pads and just kind of grab and hold there so you couldn't really move, but it didn't really look like holding because it's just kind of where your hands naturally would go. It's just that the Packers coaches coached them how to cheat. And I think, I really think that happens a lot with DBs. You teach how to, I mean, it's it's all cheating in a way. You know, when you look at a a, a corner kind of push somebody out of bounds, I mean, that, that's an, if you had turned and done that with your hands, it's a penalty. But if you turn and use your back and just run and push him with your body out of bounds and make it look like you're just running in that direction, like, hey, I can't help it, somehow that's legal. You know, you, you, you can't grab a guy, but if, well, you, you can a little bit, you can kind of try to get your hand on the side of their jersey and kind of pull down a little bit to slow them down because that's all you really need to do is to slow them down. Throws off the timing, throw, you know, the, the ball ends up getting a little overthrown. As long as there's nothing blatant, they're not going to call it. So how do you do it and not make it look blatant, especially to where the referee can't really see? 
If there's no grab and, and jerk, they're not going to notice. And even if they see your hand there, they're not going to call it. Anyways, real quick before the break here, um, some of the snap counts that are worth noting. Devontae Wyatt had his biggest game of 24 snaps, 10 against the run, 14 against the uh, as, as a pass rusher, again, with two pressures on that. So that's good enough. Savage essentially got his job back. He had uh, one snap against Philly, one snap against LA. He had 32 in this game. Also worth noting, because as I mentioned, Devontae Wyatt had more snaps largely because Dean Lowry went out, but he did get more snaps than TJ Slayton. Now, I think it's entirely possible, assuming Dean Lowry plays, that Wyatt goes below Slayton again, because I think it has more to do with what style of or what what position you're playing, because TJ Slayton is more of a nose tackle and Dean is not. So if you're going to replace Dean, you're not going to do it with TJ Slayton. You're going to do it with Devontae Wyatt. And they also talked a little bit about... um, and again, they were using abbreviations, so I could be wrong about this, but I believe Kenny was talking, and he mentioned how uh, Jaron Reed, I think he said Jay Reed, um, I, I couldn't understand what the heck he said. I was like, who is JD? I don't see a JD on the team. But they, they had used Jaron Reed in a slightly different spot because they had to kind of mix it up. And, I, and you got to be honest, when you look at Jaron Reed in the game that he had, um, by far, by far, by far, by far, his best game you got to start to wonder if maybe there's a better just overall combination of who plays where. Now, I wouldn't think there's a big difference between Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed, but that just goes to show what I know, which is probably not very much. But maybe, listen, whatever Jaron Reed did, he needs to do that again. And I don't care who has to sit, who has to move, who has to do what. But that needs to stay until we learn that that was a fluke. That stays exactly like it is. And, and I don't care if we have to move Kenny or Dean or Wyatt or Slayton or whatever we have to do, because this is one of the best defensive line performances from a defensive lineman we've seen this entire year. Certainly since early in the season when Kenny was doing things, like as a good football player and whatnot. So yeah, we got to do that again. Um, otherwise, you know, a lot of other guys out there, Ennis Gaines spent a lot of time out there. Keyshawn Nixon spent a couple snaps out there. Uh, we saw Tariq Carpenter had three snaps out there. Chris Barnes had five snaps. So it's another thing that the guys talked about in the locker room is how many people had to come out and fill in and, and what a great job they did. In reality, none of them actually graded out well, but to be fair, almost nobody did anyways. So they, they came in and were at least up to the standard of everybody else. But, uh, oh, special teams. Let's do that real quick and then we'll take a break. Uh, overall special teams grades, several graded out quite well. Patrick Taylor with a 70. Tyler Davis, 75. Isaiah McDuffie, who continually does a good job on special teams, 79-6. Innis Gaines with a 79-8. And Eric Wilson, another guy that is just... I keep forgetting he's on the team until I look at special teams grades. This guy is just unfreaking stoppable since he's gotten here. Um, since week eight, because he started off slow, 63-47-61. Since week eight, as a special teamer for the Green Bay Packers, 86, 78, 91, 70, 76, 90, 61, 86. He is, for the season, the second highest graded special teams player in the entire NFL. Do you remember when I told you this before? When I, when I said, I don't understand why Eric Wilson kept moving around because he's, he's continually one of the highest graded special teamers in 2020 for Minnesota, 90 overall grade. In 2017, Minnesota, 90.2. This year for Green Bay, 91.4. This is like his third year since 2017. Um, and last year was a his one subpar season at a 59.5. And that's when he was with Philly and Houston. He was, so he's with two different teams and all this nonsense. 
he has continually been one of the best special teamers in the NFL every year, and he's continuing that this year. I, 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 again, the disrespect for special teams blows my freaking mind. The fact that everybody just casts this guy aside. He's like one of the best special teamers in football. Eh, we got to make room. For what? For what? Come on, man. Come on. By the way, Eric Wilson has eight tackles in his, uh, well, since week eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. And actually, he did that in seven because he didn't have any in this past game. But we'll call it, I mean, just this, his highest is nine with Minnesota. He's one tackle away. He didn't even start with the Packers until week five. Anyways, uh, continuing on, Keyshawn Nixon obviously graded out quite well as a kick returner, which is very hard to do. It's something I'm not accustomed to. In fact, seeing any positive grades on special teams is basically brand new. If anybody had like a 72, it was like, holy cow, this guy, we got to lock him up for forever. But two returns, 113 yards, 93 uh, was along a 56.5 yard kickoff average. Um, then we added, uh, Josiah DeGuara, terrible kick returner, uh, zero yard return when he fell on the ball. <laughs> to be fair though, he, uh, he got the ball out to what, the 49 yard line or the 45 or something. So good on him. Romeo Dobbs, two returns, 39 yards, 21 yards was his longest. I know he got chastised by, uh, Matt LaFleur over that one, taking it out of the end zone when he should not have. And, and I was, <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one, but. As soon as I saw how deep he was in the end, I was, I was screaming, take a knee, 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 and he got out to, what, the 10? Um, only punt return of the day, Randall Cobb, one return, two yards. And then uh, kicking, I'm guessing, is just uh, kind of down the line here, field goals. Hey, 67 for Mason, that's pretty good. Made both extra points and four field goals on the day, including a 40-yarder, a 30-yarder, and a 20, uh, two 20-some-odd yarders. But anyway, so that is what happened this week. Um, and again, I want to kind of go through and kind of go, I guess, person by person and just see, again, sort of the trajectory of the player. Not going to go super in depth because we don't have time, but you get the idea. So anyways, why don't we take a break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is the place to support the podcast. If you are interested in doing that, that would be so unbelievably greatly appreciated can support the podcast for as little as one dollar per month also please consider giving to fertile ground ranch discipleship ministry you can find out more about what they do at fertilegroundranch.org there's also a link to donate pinned to the top of my twitter we'll take a break we'll be right back so why don't we just start at this at the top and and part of the reason and by top i mean who is the highest graded on the season the reason part of the reason i want to do this is because if you look at it you say hey aaron jones 85 he's the best player on our team but you look at that career arc or season arc or whatever you want to call it and essentially aaron jones has um kind of dipped especially the last two weeks now again the injury probably plays something into that but even still yeah, I guess that's not fair. Maybe maybe it is just the injury. Here's here's what it is. Aaron Jones, with a really high grade, has actually been pretty consistent 60-70. So leaving out the just a handful of games here, we're talking the really low, which there really aren't any, and the really high, you're looking at 68, 74, 71, 62, 67, 67, 65, 69, right? I mean, that's, and then, and then the, even the 70s, you got 74, 71, 71. 
So he's right in that range. The only deviation from that, week three against Tampa, 55 overall grade. And then there's the really good games. Uh, Week two against Chicago was a 90. Week eight, 85. Week 10 against Dallas was an 85. So he's got the three outliers really high. And pretty much every game has been about, you know, mid-60s to to low 70s. However, his two lowest, or two out of his three lowest scoring uh, graded games have been the last two weeks. But again, if we can pin that specifically to an injury, then, then really there's no reason to believe that Aaron Jones isn't just Aaron Jones. Now, again, it depends where you, I mean, if you put the cutoff at week 11, well, yeah, because he hasn't had any as big 80, his, his last 85 overall was week 10. I'm sure if you go from week eight or later or week seven or sooner, it's going to look better, even though he's been quote unquote worse, because two of his big games are on week eight or later and only one was earlier. So the bottom line is Aaron Jones has been a pretty consistent, let's call him a 68 to 70 guy. And he's had three really big games in terms of his grades. And in fact, even if you look at his yards per attempt, he had 4.1 this week and 5.3 the week before. The only issue is this week, he only had nine snaps and seven carries. Again, limited snap count due to injuries. Plus, last week, he had uh, 17 attempts for 90 yards, 5.3 yards per carry. Why was his grade so low? He had a fumble in that game. So that would be the only thing that dragged down last week. So even with the injury, it's not as though he's playing worse. He's, he's kind of just playing less, and by less, I just mean this one past week. Because again, two weeks ago against the Rams, he actually had a pretty good day. He just fumbled it the one time. Next highest graded offensive player is David Bakhtiari. Obviously, the issue with Bakhtiari is just keeping him healthy. It seems like, well, it doesn't seem like, it's pretty clear. He didn't play until week three. He didn't get comfortable until week six. Week three, four, five, his grades were 64, 55, 59. Since then, 85, 88, 65, 74, 77, 70. He's basically had good pass blocking grades every single week with the exception of New England. Outside of that, it's been 78, 80, 89, 82, 70, 88, 77, and 80. It's, it's unbelievable how good he is. Run blocking, again, the first three weeks were a little rough, 55, 49, 58. After that, 77, 87, 75, 66, 73, 61. So 86 pass blocking on the season, 74 uh, run blocking. He's been very consistent, but again, he's not on the field. And that is the issue. Now, the good news is, as far as I know, this is still the appendectomy situation, not his knee thing. So since his knee issue has been resolved, he's been back. He just had a new issue arrive. And there's every reason to believe that when he comes back, he comes back in full force like he was pretty much the entire season. Next highest graded is A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon, you know, for those of you that have been saying he's better later in the year when it gets colder, that seems fairly clear. Uh, His first two games were pretty solid in terms of grade, 76-73. After that, though, 54-65-62-51-67. He had his first 70 game after, you know, the first two weeks in week eight against Buffalo, but it was just a 70.7. Then it was 58-71-60. So it's kind of that whole light bulb flickering on. It was off. Then it started flickering, right, from week 7 to week 11. You had 60, basically 68, 70, 58, 71, 60. So between average and good. Since then, since week 12 in Philadelphia, 90, 74, 88, and 67. He has an 81.4 overall grade, despite the fact that he was pretty average to subpar um, for most of the season. But these last four weeks... Not as much against Miami, but L.A., Chicago, and Philadelphia in particular. Real strong. The next highest, should make everybody really happy, is Jordan Love. (laughs) Jordan Love, uh, 
as a 79 overall grade. Obviously, that's because he was very good against Philly with an 85.7, 83.4 passing grade, but that's the only game. Um, Aaron Rodgers is the next highest, which, again, kind of kind of funny. But um, Rodgers is a little weird because you could look at it and say, well, he played the first four weeks and then he got injured and then kind of fell off. But week one was bad. Week two, three, and four were good, 83, 70, 74. And then it dropped off, but with intermittent spikes. So he had three bad games, 60, 64, 66, and then 90, and then 63, and then 84, and then 65, 57, 62. Basically, since Philadelphia, it's gone up. 57, then 62, then 67, and then 75 in this game, which again, to call this his fourth best game of the season, eh, I mean, I guess, like I said, terrible first half, great second half, and maybe it just weighs heavier on the on the good than the bad. I don't know, but again, it's it's kind of just hard to blame the thumb entirely because I'm again, I'm assuming it's not fixed. Well, we had the bye week, right? But it's it's broken. I don't think bone just reattaches itself after one week of not throwing a football. But so I don't know. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, there's a clear line, I guess. But even that is is low, then higher, then higher, then high, then low, then high, then low, then higher. You know, it's like it it's like it falls off and then slowly climbs back up, and then falls off and then slowly climbs back up. I, I guess if you wanted to point to anything consistently good, it's again since Philly, he's gotten better every single week. Fifty seven, sixty two, sixty seven, seventy five. If you want to latch onto that, especially with these home games, especially in December coming up. Would I be surprised if it goes up from a 75? Not necessarily. However, again, very inconsistent game last week, which doesn't give me a ton of confidence. And, and listen, again, I've been annoyed with a lot of the stupidity going on about what people have said about the Packers. But one fair critique is there hasn't really been this moment where you're like, dude, the Packers are here, right? You saw it in Dallas, and then they fell off, and they lose, lose two more. And then, then they play the Bears, and they look pretty good, but not as good as you would have hoped. And then they play the Rams. And, and again, they look solid, not perfect, but solid. And then they play Miami. And let's be honest, I think they look kind of like garbage, but then tightened up in the second half and, uh, you know, were able to hang on long enough to, to squeeze out a win. It's just hard to have a lot of confidence that, that that moment is coming where it's just a solid team for four quarters or even three for that matter. And I think Rodgers is part of that. When you look at four games and every week getting better, you think back and go, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know that we're seeing this every week Rodgers is getting better is not how it necessarily feels. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Next highest would be Elton Jenkins. Uh, I've already mentioned Elton Jenkins has been uh, on an absolute tear. He did have a slight step back this week with a 66 overall grade. 61 pass blocking is his lowest since week 10 against Dallas when he just had a terrible week. Um, And it's his lowest run blocking grade since week 11 against Tennessee. Not exactly sure what happened to Elton. Miami isn't really uh, known for having necessarily the greatest defensive line in the world, but uh, we did see... uh, Christian Wilkins absolutely feasts, and it was mostly on the other side of the line, but maybe he got to Elton a little bit too, I don't know. But the bottom line is, I would say since probably about week 11, he's been just a dominant, dominant football player. And I'm hoping that money didn't go to his head, and that's part of why he kind of slipped a little bit. (laughs) We'll see. Christian Watson, um, you know, as I've said, since week 10 is when things really turned on. However, if you look at his grades, he's actually been pretty solid all year. It's, It's not as much from a grade standpoint, that he turned it on in, in week uh, 10. And, and if you looked at it earlier in the season, you'd say he's not that good. You know, week one against Minnesota, 45 overall, like, yikes, that's bad. Um, then a 66, which is average, and then a 71, which, hey, that's cool. And then the next two are 55, 57, so you're like, ah, no, that, I guess that New England game was just kind of a fluke. But since then, it's all greens and blues here. 72, 65, 66, 85, 73, 64, and 78. So this past week was actually his second highest graded game outside of the Philadelphia game um, when he had four receptions for 110 yards and a touchdown. But um, he's, he's just not been a bad football player. I mean, there, there's a decent amount of average to, to, it's, you know, Aaron Jonesy, 60 to 70, you know, 65 to 72 is kind of his, his zone. But yeah, the, from a production standpoint, clearly since week 10. And and that's that's a good thing too because I think there could could potentially be a lot of fear and I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot from you know we thought Christian Watson was something special but he hasn't had a touchdown in two weeks and blah 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 I, I don't think there's been that much of a change I mean the, the t- touchdowns were never going to be maintained and I told you that but if you look at the yards 107 48 110 48 46 49 he couldn't be any more consistent in terms of yardage you know how many targets he's had since week 11 six 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 Eight. Actually, since week 10, 8, 6, 6, 6, 6, 8. Receptions, 4, 4, 4, 3, 4, 6. And, and the crazy thing about it is, is, as consistent as that is, the funny part, he went out at halftime in week 16. He played a half. But the point is, you look at the grade and you say, okay, he's still playing at a high level in terms of, you know, be, between the catches, what is he doing? But I think the thing that gets me the most excited about Christian Watson is, uh, there's, there's several things. Number one, he is a deep threat. So his ability to stretch the field, which helps the entire offense is there. His ability to threaten as just that deep threat, you know, receiver is absolutely there. And he would have had uh, one. And that's the other thing that the touchdowns have gone down. But I think there's been opportunities in just about every game for Watson to get touchdowns. And this last one was Rodgers just overthrowing him. If he throws that in stride, there's a good chance he scores a touchdown on a deep shot in that game. Then you can call it, you know, again, 105 yards in a touchdown as opposed in, in seven, on seven receptions. But the other thing that's really exciting is he's not just a deep threat. He's also a red zone slash end zone threat because he is six foot five, two oh eight. He's got the speed, he's got the size, he's got all those things that you need to be a great 
touchdown threat in the red zone, but he's also become a great possession guy. The amount of receptions he's getting and targets that he's getting, we freaked out when Romeo had, what did he have, eight? Christian had six and a half. So um, even though people can look at it and say, well, things have kind of tapered, no. The only thing that's tapered is the touchdowns. I think everything else is headed straight up. Uh, Next is Randall Cobb. Again, really high overall grade, but he's fallen off since week five. He basically had a four-game stretch that has carried his grade up to this point. Week one was bad, as it was for everybody. Then it was 85-81, 69-83. After that, it's been 58-70, 63 67-65-48. And yes, he did miss some time. And maybe the injury really was a big part of that because, um, you know, week six was a bad week also. But really, from week one through six before he was injured, he got 58 and then 85-81, 69-83, 58. Post-injury, when he came back, it's been 70, 63, 47, 65, and 48. So, I don't know. But he has been uh, graded out really, really, really poorly as a receiver um, since week five. Next highest graded is Patrick Taylor. He's just been very consistent, not getting a ton of playing time. But the three games that he did, his grade 67, 65, and 70. Um, So, not much more to say about that. I think he's a good, reliable backup. Uh, Zach Tom is the next highest graded at a 69. He's been very consistent. His only bad week was week one, but he played and then he went out. He's been in pretty much uh, since, let's see, 7, 8, 9, and then 13, 15, 16 is he's played. Um, just just very consistent. I mean, great pass blocker, terrible run blocker. I mean, he's he is uh, he's the John Runyon of tackles. And the one game, aside from week one, the one game where he didn't do great as a pass blocker is his one game where he did do good as a run blocker. That was when he played guard against Buffalo. 57 pass blocking, 73. Otherwise, his pass blocking grades, 82, 83, 77, 81, 82, and and, uh, 80. Run blocking, not including week one, 47, 74, 62, 53, 47, 63. Uh, Lazard has been what Lazard has always been, and he's still continuing to be just the same old Lazard. Um, in his four years at Green Bay, his overall grades have been 69, 72, 64, and 68 is this year. So he's right in that 65 to 70 kind of range. And he's just been very consistent in the 60s. He's had two games in the 70s, week four against New England and week 13 against Chicago. He's had one bad game. That was week 15 against L.A., Every other game, 62, 68, 62, 60, 67, 60, 63, 63, 66, 64. He is the most consistently average receiver <laughs> that you're going to find. And again, that, that even continues throughout his uh, um, career with the Green Bay Packers. Everything is good. The only thing that isn't consistent is his run blocking. If you look at his pass blocking even, 77, 74, 75, and 70. Now, he doesn't do it hardly at all, but when he does, he's very good at it. But run blocking, I feel like he dropped off last year and just nobody called it because it's just, it's just one of those things you burn into your head, just like Mercedes Lewis. Oh, he's one of the best blockers. Do you know that? Are you tracking it? No, I just remember because I heard it like seven years ago in Jacksonville. Lazard's run blocking grades, 72, 78, and then it dropped off last year down to a 62. Right now, this year, 37. He has had one game where he graded out as good as a run blocker. That was against Philadelphia. This past game, 67-5, is tied for his second best run blocking game of the entire season. The other games, 52-43-44, 53-27-55, 43-36-52. He has been a 
terrible, terrible run blocker for the Packers. Uh, John Runyon has been fairly consistent, although I would say there's maybe a slight positive uptick for him, um, and mostly that's been run blocking. But overall, I would say it's mostly just very consistent. He's had one, two, three bad days as a pass blocker. Uh, His worst was week 11 against Tennessee, otherwise 58-53. Aside from that, it's all 70s and 80s. And run blocking, like I said, since week eight, he hasn't had any terrible days. So prior to week nine, his run blocking grades 39, 63, 45, 58, 76 was his one good game, then 33, 52, 41. So one, two, three, four awful days, uh, two below average days, an average day, and a good day. Since week nine, 65, 73, 57, 78, 56, 71, and 50. Every other week has been a good uh, game. So he only had one in the first half of the season. He has three in, in six weeks, or seven, I don't know. And he's due for one this next week. But his worst game also was a 50, which was this game against Miami. A 50 would be his like fourth best game in the first half of the season. This is his worst in the second half of the season. So he has improved as a run blocker since week nine. He has maintained as a pass blocker, although it has gone down slightly. His games in the first half, 84-86, 53, 88-87, 58-83. So aside from the two bad games, all 80s. Since then, 71-70, 80, 43, 74-82, 68-79. So if, even if we just rule out all the bad games, you've got all 80s prior to week 8, and you got 70, 70, 80, 70, 80, 68, 79. So the past, but, you know, it's nitpicky, but he hasn't been quite as good, but it's been balanced out by the fact that he's become a better run blocker. So I'm happy with John Runyon. It's 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 cringeworthy to watch him try to run block sometimes when you go back and review the game, but I'm I'm more than happy with a guy that's just a real consistent, solid pass blocking guard, especially a guy that was a six round pick that's just come in and established himself the way he has, and again improving. Uh, Yash Nyman very consistent, but consistently average. Um, 65 is his overall grade. I'm not going to go through all of them, but just trust me when I tell you that that's about what he's been. 52 is his lowest, 71 is his highest, and that was this past week. So that's it. I mean, if you look at it 65, 63-ish, that's that's right about what he is every single game. Um, The uh, run blocking and pass blocking, better pass blocker than run blocker, but, uh, you know, 75 pass blocking, 57 run blocking, that's, that's pretty... On a week-to-week basis, he's very consistent with, you can expect, about a 65 overall grade, a 70-ish pass blocking grade, and probably a 60 to 59-ish run blocking grade. And you got a really good chance of that being about accurate. And again, I like Yash. I think he's solid, but I also know he's very upgradable. So if we don't end up upgrading it, we'll be fine. If we do, great. Romeo Dobbs. Um, like I mentioned, I was really worried about Romeo. I don't even know if I necessarily uh, looked into this a ton, but I was worried because he started off so hot, right? And by so hot, I mean 68, 65, and then 75, plus all the statistics and everything. So statistically, he's doing great. The hands look great. Uh, he's, he's playing a ton, which is great. The grades are getting better. But then he dropped off, and again, nobody really paid attention. 52, 62, 45, 43. Like, 
bad. But then 72, which is kind of a bounce back, and then it was an 88, but it doesn't even care. It was one play, so it doesn't mean anything. So he, he had like one good game against Buffalo, and then he went out with an injury. It's like, oh, shoot, I don't know how this is going to go. And then he comes back and he gets his 89 grade and then a 62, which a 62 isn't great, but it's also not, you know, 50s and 40s like he was in that rough patch. So if you're talking 90 and then 60, I think I'm fine with that. And again, something to consider, this this 62 overall grade game, man coverage. The Giants, man coverage. New England, man coverage. Now, generally you would think, well, he's a great route runner and all that, so man cover, he could carve it up. I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit better of a find that spot in the zone kind of a guy. At least at this point in his career, that's what it seems to be. The LA Rams are one of the heaviest zone teams in football. That was his best game by far. So here's the deal. If it's a heavy man coverage thing, and we're talking fantasy football, let's say, Christian Watson's your guy. Zone coverage, Romeo Dobbs is your guy. How's that sound? But no, happy with his his bounce. In fact, he hasn't had a bad game since week seven would be another way to put that. Hasn't had a lot of games, but still, uh, I'm not as worried about his rough patch. Very excited about Romeo. Uh, Josh Myers, very, 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 very consistent in that, you know, 50. He's very, he's, he's Yash. He's Yash at center is what he is. Um, 62 overall grade. Yeah, that's that's about it. I mean, his, his highest was week four. It was a 71. Um, as a pass blocker, he's got some good ones mixed in, 82, 83, 84, 78. But he's pretty consistent with his 60s. His worst pass blocking game of the season was against Miami. The interior just got wrecked in that Miami game. I don't know what the heck happened. 49.7. And run blocking is just pretty subpar. And, and I've again, Josh and Runyon as a duo trying to run block is just, it's, hard to watch a lot of the time but it's all 50s for him uh he's got a 70 he's got two we'll call it three he's got a 69.4 but you take away the three 70s 52 65 57 54 53 54 50 59 57 51 47 and 58 so he's got a 60 and a 40 which cancel each other out it's all 50s and consistently subpar i think is a fair way to describe josh meyer so a, a good pass blocker a subpar run blocker and again, there's no real trend or trajectory. It's just the same guy every week. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, pretty consistent. I mean, he has three big games. One of them was this past week. He's going to show up once in a while and just blow up. Otherwise, he's about a 50-ish, 55 kind of overall guy. Um, the one good thing is he's been a very consistent pass blocker. To start the season, it was 56, 72, 71, 34, 66, and 46. So two good games out of six. Since week 7, 74, 73, 74, 76, 74, 75, 72, 74, 73. That is the most consistent thing I've ever seen in my life. Run blocking, not as much. Pass blocking, very, very much so. Josiah, my dude, um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm getting worried that we're just going to have to put a, put, a stick, a, put a stick in the thing. <laughs> I don't know what the, what the saying is. Stick a fork in him. Uh, third round curse. I just don't know if there's anything... You know, for a while there, it was looking like there was something there. But um, to start the season, he had an 80 week one. Then he had a three-game stretch where it wasn't great. And then 74, then 82. He's had one good game since. That was against Philly, and that was entirely because of his run blocking, which he did 11 times, which is not small, but it's like, okay, really good job on 11 snaps. 
doesn't really counteract an entire season. It is run blocking overall as a 46. His pass blocking is a 37. So he's not a good uh, blocker. Then you get receiving. He has a 63. He's, again, one good game uh, since week seven. You know, 55, 50, 58, 42, 54, 75 because of those 11 plays. Then 54, 51, 55. I mean, it's just, it's, it's subpar every single week. So I like Josiah. I would love for there to be a turn the corner moment, but. Um, at the same time, we we really, really need, in my mind, a stud tight end. Josiah is never going to be that. I don't even know that he's going to be necessarily a great role player, as much as it pains me to say that. But I mean, it's just it's just bad. And 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 it's consistent. Three years in Green Bay, 56, 55, and 57. And year one isn't really fair, but when it's exactly what you get from him on a regular basis, that you know, I don't I don't expect that it would have been any better uh than that, anyways. In the last two years, his pass blocking grade 35 and 31. So, and this is his worst run blocking year. It's his best receiving year, but barely, and he's still not very good at it. And he hasn't had a good game since week six. And it's all, his 63 is propped up by three games. And in, in, in two games combined for five snaps as a receiver. So even that is too small of a sample size. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I like Josiah, but I don't think it's ever going to be a thing. Uh, Royce, let's just, I don't know. Let's just hope we don't see a ton of them. Robert Tunyon, same thing. I mean, he's, he's Tunyon without the hype. Um, 47 run blocking grade, 58 receiving grade, 49 pass blocking grade. The guy's never been good at anything. Uh, I don't know why he always got so much hype. He got a ton of touchdowns, I think in 2020. Um, but again, he had a billion touchdowns and still only managed a 68 overall grade. Aside from that, 60, 55, 54, 56 is his career grades. Um, pass blocking, he had one good year, his rookie year, which doesn't even count because he had two snaps, but 61, 58, 16, and 49 since then. Um, run blocking, 53, 52, 47, 47. Receiver, 62, 71. That was his big touchdown year, 58, 58. Tunyon's not, he's not doing anything. He's had one good game this entire year as far as his grade. That was against the Jets. Um, and uh, let's see, as far as he has one touchdown, that was against New England. Um, one game over 50 yards against the Jets. That was his uh, one good game. He had, nine, had 10 receptions for 90 yards. Aside from that, I mean, it's nothing. 30, 32 yards the game after, then 35 since then, 29, 8, 19, 20, 10, 4, and 13. He hasn't had more than one reception since Philadelphia in week 12. And again, no touchdowns since week four, and that was his only touchdown. So go ahead and stick a fork in that one, too. I don't see any more any reason to keep throwing money at that. Tyler Davis, I mean, I guess I guess we might as well have hope, hope in Tyler. There's no reason to have hope in anybody else. Um had his second best game of the season, 69.6. His only good game was against Buffalo, but that was only three snaps. Um, he's starting to play more the last two weeks. Maybe that's because everyone else is just doing so poorly. But, um, yeah, there's there's not much here, and there's no real change either. Samori Ture is the last offensive player. He's the lowest graded on the team, which I know makes people mad because everyone thinks he's a superstar, even though he hasn't really done anything on the offense. But, um Let's see. His as far as statistics go, he had two decent games. Buffalo, one reception, thirty-seven yards, and a touchdown. And then Detroit, two receptions, thirty-four yards. Since then, 
zero targets, zero receptions, zero targets, zero receptions, zero targets, zero receptions, one target, one reception, seven yards, and then zero targets, zero receptions. And yes, that does have a lot to do with uh, opportunity, but even when he had the opportunities, his grade, for example, against Detroit was a 48. Against Buffalo, where he had a touchdown, it was a 64. And then the week before that uh, was a 52. The only other game he's played with double-digit snaps, he had a 53 overall grade. Um, very consistent, though. He's, he's, he's lowest is a 48, his highest is a 64. Every other game is mid-50s. So no real trend or trajectory on that. Defense, unfortunately, the highest graded is Rashawn, and we can't uh, really do anything about that. I'm not going to bother looking at it because he's not playing. Um, after that is Jair Alexander. I do think it's, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's sometimes hard to read. There's no very clear thing, but I would say his rough patch, like most of the team was between weeks three and seven, 43, 63, 66, 53. Prior to that was 68, 78. Since then, 90, 68, 63, 62, 68, 76, 53 against LA is rough. And then 72, one bad game. Sandwiched in between two of his better games, uh, two of his top four games, his third and his fourth best, um, were against Chicago and Miami. Maybe an interception that he didn't super earn is um, propping up somewhat of a not great game. But, I, you know, again, the reality is I think this version of Jair Alexander is, number one, better than anybody wants to give him credit for. But as number two, kind of what we should have always expected. His 90 overall game was an outlier, or his season grade was an outlier. The other four years, 72, 71, 73, and 77, which would make this his second highest graded season outside of 2020. And again, yes, it's probably inflated a little bit because of the interceptions, but I will happily take that. And again, I think he's through his rough patch. He's been a little bit more consistent. Basically, three out of his last four games have been graded out in the 70s. Philadelphia was a 68. That's close enough. So this is his best stretch. L.A. was rough, but this is his best stretch, and I do think he's playing his best football right now. Nothing necessarily elite. He's not, you know, number one overall corner type of guy right now, but is he trending in the right direction? Yes, he is. Uh, Rudy Ford, unfortunately, is the exact opposite. Um, he was, at one point I was talking about he's the highest graded safety in football. He didn't play a ton, but it was still pretty consistent. Uh, 44 snaps week four, his first time playing, he had a 79 overall grade. Then he kind of a couple snaps here and there, one, four, nine, six, four, decently graded, 60s and 70s. Then he comes back again, gets an 83. Then he plays Tennessee and it's terrible, 33. But then he plays Philadelphia and it's an 88. But then 48, 52, 54 these last three weeks. So he's he's unbelievably boomer bust. And maybe it's just his play style. He's a special teamer. He's playing at 110 miles an hour all the time. So he's guessing. And if he guesses right, it's going to be beautiful. And if he guesses wrong, it's going to be real ugly. That's the only thing I can surmise because, again, his grades 88, 33, 88, 48, 52, 54. Amazing and garbage. And again, unfortunately, it's been three bad weeks. Now, to be clear, something to, to really pay attention to here Rudy Ford had a stretch. It's not really working. Savage has been playing better and more consistent and did get a ton more snaps in this last game. I know nobody wants to hear his name because of how bad he's been, and I get that. Um, and it's nothing necessarily to write home about, but if you can give me a 68 overall grade on a week-to-week basis, I'll happily take that. Will he be able to do that? I don't know. Maybe not. But I'll take that over what Rudy Ford's given right now. 
And yes, he is still the one of the lowest graded defenders on the team with a 48 overall grade. No doubt about that. Largely deflated by three weeks, 29 overall grade against Minnesota, 30 against the Giants, and then a, well, he only played one snap, but a 41 against Philadelphia is, is pretty rough. Um, and then from there, he's been pretty average, 50s, 60s, and a 70 mixed in, which a lot of guys have that and don't have this bad of grades again because of this couple terrible games. But if, for example, you look at from week seven on, not including his two games where he didn't play, 74, 51, 60, 55, 54, 68. It's not good, but it's not terrible. And it's certainly a higher floor than what we're getting from Ford right now. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how that balances out, but I do know that Rudy Ford played 19 snaps and Darnell Savage played 32 in this last game. So we shall see. Devondre Campbell has uh, hit the gutter. I don't know exactly what happened with Campbell. I know he's also missed a couple weeks and it seems like around that time uh, there was an issue because he was doing pretty well. 70, 60, 60, 40, which isn't super great. Then 80, 60, 90. So decent, but not quite as good. And then two elite games in three weeks looked solid. Then in Buffalo, I don't know if he got hurt in that game or what. I think he did. Um, 29 overall grade, playing 23 snaps. He didn't come back until week 13. It's been 55, 56, and 60 since then. So it's been pretty bad since his injury. I don't know exactly what his status is or how he's holding up or, or what. Uh, on the positive side, it has gotten better every week, albeit slowly. Again, 53, 56, and 60. So I guess you can call that trending up. But even if you look at it for the totality of the season, he really just hasn't been all that elite. And, and, and I think considering how good some guys play, some of us just need, some of these guys, I just need to set a floor. And what I don't want to see anymore is Campbell and Quay having terrible games. I, I, I don't like seeing that. I'm tired of seeing that. You know, Devondre getting a 53 and Quay getting a 46 or something like, come on, guys. Uh, after that is Razul Douglas. He's been pretty consistent, but I would say he is doing a great job of setting that floor. He had a real rough patch. I mean, uh, I shouldn't even say rough. It was very volatile from about week five to eight. 33, 55, 90, and 30. Prior to that was 60s and 70s. Since then has been 60s and 70s. There's 156 mixed in, but 77, 63, 69, 56, 79, 62, 64. I'll take that. Even though the last two have been in the 60s, I will happily take that. Just don't bust through the floor and I'll take it. And really in that stretch since week nine, Razul Douglas is ranked 35th, Jair is ranked 31st, and uh, Keyshawn Nixon is ranked 21st. Nobody's elite, but I don't care. I mean, I do. I expect better, especially from Jair. But for Razul, no. G- give me 68, and I'm happy. Um, after that is Preston Smith. Preston has really turned on the Jets. Um, he had two pretty good games, week five and six, but otherwise he was just struggling. And then when it got late in the season, or, or you know, late to the midseason or whatever, Buffalo, Detroit, Dallas, he just fell off a cliff. In fact, you could even count weeks 11 and 12 in there. Because although week 11 was good, we're talking a a five-week span of 43, 56, 55, 74, and 44. Since then, though, 65, 75, and 90. So two of his three best games, or yeah, yeah, two of his three best games have been the last two weeks. So he's been um, stepping it up late in the season, which is important. And in fact, you could look at it the other way and say since week 11, he did have a bad week against Philly. But aside from that, 75, 65, 75, and 90. So four 
um, acceptable to great weeks out of five. So we and we need that. Without Rashawn, it's really been a struggle, and maybe that's part of why he struggled early on. Is now that the attention wasn't being paid to Rashawn, started getting a little more attention on Preston, and he started to struggle a little bit more, and now is starting to figure that out. However, that may be the case. Next highest graded is Keyshawn Nixon, and I don't mean as a, as a special teamer. I legitimately mean as a um, uh, defender. Now he didn't play many snaps in Week 16, which kind of makes me sad, but um, since Week 12, he's been great. I mean, I even said he's he's one of the highest graded corners we have since, what did I say, week 8? He was terrible. Weeks 9, 10, and 11. 35, 42, and 33. Now, he didn't play a ton in 10 and 11, but week 9, 35 overall grade, played 39 snaps. He was garbage. Since week 12. So he played 12, 13, and 15 a ton. 73, 83, and 70. As a corner. 2019 undrafted free agent who came over here to maybe be a special teams guy, not even a returner, just he knows uh, how to be a, uh, I don't know, blocker, tackler guy. He was never a serious contender to be a kick returner. And right now he's one of our best corners and one of the best kick returners in the NFL. I don't even understand Keyshawn Dixon, but pretty much whatever he wants to do, he should be doing more of it. Uh, I understand he's got an injury, but whenever he comes back, let's just do that. Next highest graded is Devontae Wyatt. I know it's mostly seemed like it's been bad grades for him, but he's got a 62. Um, and he did have a bad week against Miami, which sucks because it was one of his, it was actually the most snaps he's had on the season. Um, but again, the the pressures were on point. Two two pressures on 14 attempts. I think I said it was, was it 25-ish percent? Um, pressures were there. It was, it was, his worst grade was run defense, whatever. But the two weeks prior were a 77 and an 87. So he's kind of been a little bit more consistently on the good side. The first six weeks, it was 54, 43, 85, 49, 61. So in five weeks, he had one good good week in there. Very small sample size in all those weeks. But still, just to give you an idea of usually he's bad, but whoa, there's that one game where it's like, dude, this guy could be great. Then he kind of got into the like consistently average to good, 75, 70, 60, 54, 67. And then you've had this weird patch of really bad, really good, really good, really bad. But overall, I'm, I'm happy he's getting more opportunities. We're seeing more flashes of greatness. There's going to be a lot of uh, inconsistencies and some kinks to work out, but I'm all for it. And, and it's coming at the right time. We need that interior pressure, and I think he brings it. It's going to probably maybe make us take a step back in terms of uh, run defense, maybe. And Dean Lowry, by the way, was placed on IR uh, due to his injury. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of Devontae. I mean, a lot more of Devontae Wyatt. He's going to be up there with uh, Jaron Reed and and, uh, and Kenny Clark because he is he is the Dean Lowry backup. So it's Devontae Wyatt season for sure. So, um, I mean, and look, this has always been the best way to learn. Christian Watson spent a lot of weeks just kind of piddling along and not getting it done and not being able to do all this, that, and the other. And they finally gave him a ton of opportunities, and he just rose to the occasion, and he dominated. And I'm not expecting that necessarily from Wyatt, but he's been getting, you know, just a handful of single-digit snaps, a couple double digits mixed in. You know, it was, it was uh, 12, 10, 10, 14, 15, 20, then back down to 9, 9, and then up to 24. Started the season all single digits. But now we're going to see Devontae Wyatt getting 30, 40 snaps. I mean, he's going to get two games worth in one game, two to three games worth of experience. Plus, as I've always said, the other thing is game planning when it's Dean Lowry, it's not as easy to come in as Devontae Wyatt, especially since they throw him in the fourth quarter. 
you you didn't plan for him being there. He didn't get as much practice time. He didn't get as many reps. He didn't get reps with the ones. There's not a game plan built around him and his specific skill set. It's or he's going into play Dean Lowry's game plan. Now it's like Dean Devontae is the dude. And we're gonna see more Slayton too, but it's it's gonna be, I think, more more Wyatt, because again, Wyatt is a Lowry guy. Slayton is a nose tackle. That would be like a Kenny replacement or something. So I'm excited. We'll see how she goes. Uh, next highest graded is Jaron Reed. Reed has been uh, mostly consistent. However, it's a little weird because by far his best game was this last week. And again, I, I can't help but think that with him getting a little bit more snaps at a different position because of the injury, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But he actually was going downhill. Um, he started going downhill around week nine. Uh, he was he was 60s and 70s prior to that. And then starting in week nine, 42, 66, 62, 35, 44, 63. So it was it was bleak for Jaron Reed. And then all of a sudden, boom, 89.9, 86 run defense grade. Tackling was still garbage, but 70 pass rush grade was his third best of the season. Um, four pressures on 17 attempts, which is stupid. And a sack, which is just his fourth of the season. Not that that's low for him. It's how many he had last year. So I don't know. Again, since week nine, he's been getting worse, but this past week he got better. Was this week just a fluke and he's going to go back to being bad Jaron Reed? Did something change with Dean Lowry going out and we had to change some things and he's better at this? I don't know. I don't know. We shall see. But um, skeptical optimism, I guess. Uh, Kenny Clark, he pretty much fell off around week seven, six to seven. He was the probably the top defensive tackle for the first five weeks of football. And then just nothing. You, you could say week seven in Washington is when he just, I, I don't know if there's an injury, his dog died, or if he just gave up on the season. I don't know what happened. But um, prior to week seven, and he had one bad game against New England, but outside of that, 70, 78, 87, 78, and 70. Since then, 62, 37, 32, 47, 65, 46, 63, 69, 61. Uh, not one good game. I mean, 69-5, you could round up his his game in L.A. where he had four pressures if you want to. Um, he started the season getting three sacks in three games. He's had one sack since. One. He had three sacks by week three. He has four by week 16. So, I don't know. I have no idea. This is by far his worst season. He started off with... This was his... I, if you've been listening, in week five-ish, six-ish, I said this is by far his best season ever, and it wasn't close. His pressure numbers, his sack numbers, his PFF grades, everything was higher than he's ever been before. At this point, this is by far his worst season in terms of every metric. Um, 61 overall grade. He's grades 74, 87, 90, 79, 76, 75, 61. Uh, it's his lowest run defense grade. It's his, uh, it's not really his lowest pass rush grade. He's never been that good of a pass rusher. He really hasn't. Um, tackling is low. I mean, just everything, it's it, it primarily his run defense that's been terrible. Although his pass rush grades haven't been good since week eight against Buffalo. I mean, week seven was the last time it was good. I mean, you don't talk about a, a drop up. There, there has to have been something they did schematically that's different. This is this is so dramatic. Listen to his pass rush grades: 90, 90, 78, 48, 75, 76, 70, 
And then 48, 58, 54, 53, 51, 56, 59, 62. What the heck happened? There is just a a sharp line drawn where he was 70s and 90s, and now he's 40s and 50s. His best pass rush game, grade anyways, was this week 62. What in the world freaking happened? And you can't even say Rashawn. Well, maybe you can say Rashawn. When did Rashawn go out? I was going to say his overall grades, no, but pass rush was a week later. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right in that range when Rashawn went out. Kenny's last good game as a pass rusher, as far as his grade, was in week seven. Um, Rashawn's last full game was week eight. Maybe that's what it is. You know, I don't know. But Kenny's basically cooked. I mean, the, the, the good news is he's been consistently average for at least three weeks and four out of the last five. His really, really bad stretch was weeks 8, 9, and 10. 37, 32, 47. And then it was average and then bad again. And it's been average for the last three. So maybe he starts to rebound a little bit again. Just set the floor, please. No more 30s and 40s. Um. I mean, the good news is it hasn't been since week 12, I guess, and it's been a little while since then. But uh, it has to be better than this. Uh, the other good news is since the bye, um, actually, no, it's not since the bye, but the last three weeks, if you look at his pressures um, in his real bad stretch, 2 1 2 0 1, the last three weeks it's been 3 4 2. So the numbers have been up, even though he hasn't gotten a sack. I'm trying to find something rosy here, but, but Kenny just has. has I mean, he's just been a bad football player. That's all there is to it. Uh, Kingsley also trending in a very bad direction. Um, he's been solid pretty much all year. He had a couple bad games mixed in. Week four against New England, he had a 28. Uh, against Buffalo, he had a 38. But aside from that, pretty much weeks one through 11, he's been pretty solid. Week 12 wasn't terrible. It was a 58, which is low for him, but it's kind of average. 36, 47, 49 since. So he hasn't had a good game since week 11 in Tennessee. Um, again, don't really know what the problem is. The biggest drop-off has been run defense, has just been terrible, and his tackling has been terrible. Um, his, he's been a great tackler all the way through week 11, but weeks 12, 15, and 16, he's been horrific. So again, no idea what's changed or why that would have fallen off. You'd think something like that would improve as the season goes on. Um, we're not getting the best version of, of Kingsley. Uh, TJ Slayton, I would say, is is on the uptick, although the last two weeks have been pretty bad. But Slayton was horrible through week six, 52-38-61-47-61-33. Since then, 71-76-50-59-67-75-76. So week seven through 13, really solid. But then he dropped off against LA with a 35, and then this past week a 58, um, which, you know, is pretty average, I guess. But... Overall, I would say Slayton's on the upswing, which is good because we're going to be seeing a lot more of Slayton too with Lowry being out. He's just going to be rotated in even more. In fact, we might even start seeing a little bit of Ford. I'm not sure. Uh, Jonathan Garvin, also a guy that he's not great, but he's he's improving. His worst four games came in the first four weeks, 43, 29, 45, 43. His, last, his, his next two worst games are the last two weeks, which does suck a little bit. I don't know, the last two weeks, everybody, is since the bye or what? There's a lot of guys that the last couple, like, hey, they're getting better except, you know, this last game or two. So weird. But, you know, at least since week five, he's been average. 63, 56, 74, 66, 80, 50, and 54, which is 
below average, but it's not 20s and 30s and 40s. So, you know, Garvin is Garvin. And and again, with Garvin, if you just give me average, I'll be I'll be happy. But he's a consistent dude from a year-to-year basis, 53, 59, 56. Um, definitely not someone you want to be a starter, but it is what it is. Um, Amos pretty much fell off around that same time as Kenny did, week seven-ish. He wasn't off to a great start to begin with. It was already a bad year. But after that, he just completely fell off. He's had one good game since week six. Um, 60-40, It's been bad. It's been bad for Adrian Amos. Uh, Quay Walker is kind of all over the map. I mean, he, he reminds me of Rudy Ford. It's either great or it's awful. The good news is he's not, I mean, he had a really, 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 really bad stretch. Uh, weeks three, four, five, and six, 30-40, 30-40. Since then, it's been better but just all over the place. 70, 70, 40, 60, 70, 30, 60, 80, borderline 90, and then 30. To go from a a 30, which is, so he went from, (laughs) just to put it into words here since week eight, good, bad, average, good, putrid, average, elite, putrid. So, I don't know, man. The consistency is is lacking, but what we're starting to see a little bit more good than bad, and some a little bit of really good mixed in. But they're still just terrible. Um, that's floating around, which sucks. Uh, last one I think is Isaiah McDuffie, which we don't need to look a ton into. He hasn't had a ton of time, but just he's just kind of bad at stuff. Is all you really need to know. Darnell Savage, we already covered. A lot of the other guys are are injured or whatever, so we don't need to go over it, but. That's kind of where everybody's more accurately at, rather than just looking at overall grades and everything else. I wanted to kind of get a picture of their trajectory, what they're doing, where they've been. Um, definitely not all good news, not a lot of super inspiring things. Some guys are getting hot at the right time. Some guys are just falling off. Others like Kenny and, and Rogers, you look at and go, eh, there's a maybe a slight uptick. There's been no awful games and it's technically been better every week for the last four weeks, even though it's a minor improvement. So maybe, I don't know, but um, that's it. That's what we got. I got to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.